Andy, this one's for you. With regards to budget and finance, when forecasting finance, do we consider the finance team as part of the development team or vice versa? Ah, this is a trick question. Somebody threw this in here just to like confuse us. I so, well, like I'm wondering what I'm trying to understand exactly what it's asking. So maybe so, I'm so depending on the size of your organization, I mean, I'm going to try to answer it honestly, depending on the size of your organization, like the like who reports to who and what who's responsible for what is it could be the answer is like infinite. If you're tiny and you're totally bored run and you don't even have an executive director, like it's everybody's responsibility to do everything. Um, the larger you get, the more departments you have and you start to split those out into sort of common functional areas you end up with like, and finance is usually almost last. And you say as organizations grow and then you finally get a finance team. That's like, you know, you're like a big boy because now you've got a finance team. Um, would they like, do they even have a relationship to the v- development team? Like, I don't think so. I mean, the, the development team should has a sort of revenue responsibility. Their job is to bring in contributions and the finance team is their job is to make sure that all of the accounting gets done properly and that you've got, you know, you're thinking ahead far enough that you don't run out of cash. Like that's, those are the two different jobs. Do they overlap? Sure. They overlap because most, but everything has to do with money, but that's true in any nonprofit. Like every, everybody has some responsibility for money at some point. But do they need to report to each other or do they one report to the other or is that common? I don't think so. I think I think it's really unusual. Those feel like two very distinct functions within an organization from everything I've ever seen. And I guess the only thing I, I could think of, I, and I was wondering if this is where the question was headed when they said when for, forecasting finance, I, I started thinking, okay, if they're talking about like budget forecasting and you know, forecasting sort of just revenue generation. I mean, it absolutely should be driven by the development department to come up with those numbers. Finance could check those numbers or ask questions around those numbers or try to see, you know, check the assumptions of those numbers for the for budget purposes. But finance wouldn't be the one to say, oh, we need to make this much money. So we're going to plug in this hole and then like give it to you development. And so that was the other thing I was trying to figure out if that's what the question was asking. I just, I feel a little unclear. So my apologies if the person who wrote this, if we're not hitting the nail on the head and if if there's any more, um, yeah, if there's any more context you want to provide, but those are just two separate and distinct. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I mean, and and to, you know, if the question is about when you're, when the, like who is responsible for the development team's forecasts for the upcoming fiscal year, it's, it should be a hundred percent, the development team. Yeah. Like nobody knows that better than they do. Um, and, and that's a, that's something you see that, that is a common challenge is when exactly what you said, like the development team says, yeah, we think we can raise, you know, $650,000 this year and they get their budget back. And it's like, you get to raise a million. Like, well, okay. <laughs> then Don't be surprised <laughs> when we suck at that because that's not what we said we could do. Um, that's always a, a push pull, but it really needs to be driven by the the department that says, you know, they have to come up with the, exactly how that's going to happen. You can't just throw numbers at them and expect them to meet them. That's crazy. And I mean, you in your roles over the years and finance roles, I mean, my, I'm guessing you probably were the one that would ask, where did these numbers come from? They seem a little 
um, not like ambitious enough, or maybe it's not ambition isn't the right word, but like not, um, you have projected no growth. Why is that? Right? Like, so I would think the finance team could ask those kinds of questions for better context, or if there's variances from year to year, or there's gaps, like funding gaps. I, I, I mean, to me, that's where I see the two intersecting and having a, like a conversation and absolutely a, a partnership to some degree because each hand needs to be talking to the other. But, but it definitely feels like two very distinct responsibilities um, unless you've come up with some really creative creative solution where you have someone who is wearing all hats like some nonprofits do right and wearing the finance hat and the development hat but it that's not what the way the question reads Mm-mm. and and it's sort of to answer your question like the 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 way i prefer to do any kind of but budgeting for revenue is it's all just based on science and numbers yeah. So there's never any what do you think or what's your opinion or what's your guess. It's like if we're talking about uh, direct mail, we have very clear understanding of exactly how direct mail works. We know the size of our file. We know what happened last year. So we know what's going to happen this year, like within within a few boundaries, right? If we're talking about major gifts, then we have how many people are talking to how many donors and what's your portfolio look like and how much of those donors given in the past. And if we're talking about bringing on new donors, have you identified them? Do you know how much money they're capable of giving? What's your likelihood of getting a gift from that person at that level? And so it's all just it's all math and probabilities, which comes up with an answer. And you can't just you can never just throw, you know, you need hundred thousand dollars more in revenue this year. Where's it going to come from? I don't know. Figure it out. Like that's not, that's not the way you should forecast things. You should say like, I need a hundred thousand dollars in this, you know, so we're going to bring on another, you know, 50% person to come on and, and that they're going to be responsible for that hundred thousand dollars. And this is the, these are the people they're going to talk to. And this is why we know a hundred thousand dollars is a reasonable goal for them. And I mean, it's gotta be totally science-based. You can't make it up. If you're making it up, you're, you're just making your, Poor development team crazy. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. It is another day in paradise. Do you know why it is day in paradise, Andy? I don't. Because people are listening to us and the Nonprofit Everything podcast. It's a new episode. <laughs> it's a new episode. <laughs> How exciting. <laughs> Woohoo! I'm trying to add some energy there, right? So if anyone <laughs> needed some, some pep in your step, I hope I just gave it to you. Anyways, thank you so much for joining us for another episode. Uh, uh, of, you know, yours truly, Andy Shirked, my fabulous co-host, and myself, Stacey Wedding. And we are here to answer all of your questions, all those things that run through your head. And I know that you all have a lot of questions. And so I want to ask you to just take one of those. At some point, one of them, text us, email us, submit it on the website, find us on social media. There are so many ways, but just send us your question, no matter how... uh, little, big, whatever, like we love them all. So uh, thank you. And thanks to the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. This is a production. This podcast is a production of Anne. And if you don't know much about Anne, I encourage you to go check out their website, become a member and see what other good stuff they've got going on. 
attempting to start a not-for-profit school and am really having a difficult time. I have my board and the paperwork is filed. I have written over three business plans with several different financial outcomes. I am currently alone in this endeavor as the board has full-time jobs. I could use some people to help me get this off the ground. Do you know of any people who specialize in startups related to what I am doing? Thank you. So this question has so many little bits and pieces in it. I love it. And I was, Stacey and I were just talking. One of the things that we haven't really talked about is like, if you have an idea, you've got this great idea, you want, you put everything in place and you want to start it. What's the, what needs to happen between the time that you have a good idea and the time that it actually becomes a functioning nonprofit, this sort of longer term piece. So a long time ago, it was probably about almost a hundred episodes ago, we talked to Bob Cushman from SCORE. And one of the things we talked to Bob about, and we'll put a link to that episode in the show notes, and we'll put a link to SCORE in the show notes as well, is this is a group of volunteers who know all kinds of things about business startups and can help you with the startup process. Um, What they don't necessarily know, though, and what you probably aren't going to be able to get from them is that, that middle piece, which is, okay... This is the idea. It's a good idea. We know it's going to work. How do I turn it into a building, right? How do I turn it into students showing up for class? Um, which is a, which is kind of a different question. Um, so, and you know, this is one of those answers. It's probably going to take us an entire episode too, because there's so many little bits to it. One of them is uh, you are a single founder coming up with an idea. You've put a board together. The board, as you've rightly said, the board are all volunteers. They have full-time jobs. They, they aren't going to quit their job and start, stop everything that they're currently doing to help you um, raise a whole bunch of money, help you find a building, help you develop curriculum, help you do all of the things that you need to do to have a functioning nonprofit. Like that's a, that's a heavy lift, especially for something that you can't start small. Um, many nonprofits, you can start with an idea and a couple of people and a little bit of money. Say you want to start a food pantry. Easy. Food pantry is super easy. You can start a food pantry for $5,000, um, but but you can't start a school for $5,000. You need a lot more money. You need, first of all, you need probably, I mean, nowadays, maybe not, but you need a physical location. You need teachers. You need materials. You need insurance, you know, all kinds of stuff. And that's that's a big dollar figure. And that's one of the things that you probably know is you put together your financial projections. There's probably a big piece in your financial projections that says, you know, we need two and a half, three million dollars just to get started. So, so probably the question that you're asking, and this is my guess, is where do I get $3 million? Like I've got this awesome idea. Where am I going to get $3 million? And that's a very specific question that has a very specific answer. So if you're starting a school and it's going to be a STEM school and you want to do all of these cool things related to it, the next step is to start talking to people that have money, like find out who's got the money to be able to do this. At this stage, because you're brand new and you don't have anything, I'm guessing it's not the federal government, it's not the state government, it's not the city government, because they're going to want to know that you've got a track record of being able to do this. So you're going to go to sort of riskier locations for your money. You're going to need to go to foundations that are interested in starting schools. You're going to go to individual philanthropists, individual donors that are interested in the exact thing that you're interested in. Um, And when you start thinking about it that way, then it's a completely different conversation. It's not about what the financials look like. It's about why is this particular thing interesting enough for an individual donor to want to give you money for nothing? 
Like why, what is your, what is your reason for being? And is that compelling enough to convince somebody who has a lot of money to give you some of it so that you can do this? And, and that's where it gets really, really hard. Well, and Mike, yeah, one of my big questions is what makes you unique? There are a boatload of schools. I know there's a boatload of private schools and charter schools, and those seem to be exploding. Mm -hmm. And so how are you different? Like, you know, I mean, everyone needs education, but I still think, you know, if I'm going to be going to a private school or sending, you know, with a nonprofit arm or a charter, a nonprofit charter school, I really want to understand what is it this is going to provide me that I'm not going to get through the, you know, traditional public school system. So, so like, I think thinking through that, you talk about your business plans with several different financial outcomes, but, but I'd be really curious to know, do your business plans and score is a great resource for this because they've got template business plans, right. To think through all of those, all of those components, not just the financial piece, right. Because that's not going to do it. And, and talking to, there's other people who have been successful in the community who may be um, willing to kind of be a mentor or at least have one conversation with you to say, hey, here's what I did when I got started. And, and you know, there's people you'd be surprised who are willing to take the time to do that. Some who won't give you the time of day and others who will, but you can kind of pick up the phone and reach out and say, hey, can I buy a cup of coffee and can I pick your brain for a few minutes? Um, I'm also going to guess, not knowing the details about the school, but I think nationally, I mean, there's there's models that I don't I don't know the names off the top of my head, right? But there's you know association of charter school models, and like I'm I'm wondering if you've done any kind of research on some of those, and like if they have sort of some startup support services, um, you know, to to help with it. Uh, the other thing, like I was thinking as you were talking, Andy, I get it, the board, right? board being volunteers and full-time. But I also think it comes back to you being like really clear as you're recruiting your board and as you're appointing a board, it, being honest up front. Like if you are really looking for someone with expertise in an area to help bring this to life, like like thinking about that and, and thinking about how you can find the person who will give that in your network um, and letting them know they're going to be a working board at the beginning. And this is what that means because it's it's pretty, whether it's the small startup food pantry for 5,000 or it's a larger not, you know, nonprofit school model. I'm like, there's, there is a commitment to being a startup board. <laughs> that yeah. is the hardest board, the most challenging board, in my opinion, that you ever have to deal with is because they're they're having to wear multiple hats, right? Their governance hat their their working hat, their their being your basically your staff for free hat, like that's really gotta be compelling for someone to want to give you that amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it, it, I mean you brought up you brought up so many different things in that answer. So <laughs> let's let's talk real quick about like reaching out to other people that are in the same space that you're in. So one of the really cool things that I've noticed about nonprofits in general is number one, there are a few people that won't give you the time of day. Like you said, there are people that you'll call and they'll feel super proprietary about their time and their idea, but you don't want to talk to them anyway. Yeah. Like the vast majority of nonprofit folks are super friendly, love telling you all the horrible mistakes you can make and how to avoid them. And the other cool thing about the nonprofit sector is that it's really local. Like there aren't a very, when you think about it, there aren't very many national nonprofits, especially in the space that you're talking about. Everybody's a local nonprofit. 
So if you want to talk to somebody about how do you start up a brand new school, just go a couple of towns over. And because they're not competing for the same funding that you are, even remotely, they'll talk to you all day. They'll explain to you exactly how they did it. They'll be happy to give you their business plan. Um, this was, and this was like so millions of years ago, I worked as a consultant for art museums and this was like, this was the secret. Like the, like I'm surprised that we even existed because the secret was like, somebody wants to start a new art museum and they're like, Oh, we, we can't talk to the other museums in town because we're all, so just go to the next state over and talk to that executive director and say, Hey, can you just give me everything you have from your development plan to your strategic plan to your budget. And they'd be like, Oh yeah, I'd love to talk about all this stuff. And then you've got a completely like ready to go art museum that you can drop on somebody else. Right. And charge them $25,000 for the privilege. So yeah. like go out going out of your local area to talk to people, people would be delighted to do that. So, so don't just don't think, and, and this is a mistake that I think, I mean, even for-profit businesses make, they think that their idea is so precious that they, if they talk to somebody else about it, someone is going to steal it and immediately do it. And the reality is, is like, as you've discovered, like a good idea is worth exactly zero. <laughs> a good idea is, is where you start and the work that it takes to turn that good idea into a functioning business is the really, really hard work. And that's what it sounds like you're willing to put in. So so go ahead and do that and don't be scared to share your idea with folks, even locally and say, this is what I want to do. And this is why I want to do it. Cause that's, what's going to get you access to those funders probably. Yeah. And I, I agree. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's like the worst that they can say is no, or I'm not interested or, or ghost you and never respond. Right. Like, so right. you're, you're, you're really not out of um, any luck. And in some ways, it's the greatest form of flattery when you get to a point where you are successful enough, someone's reaching out to you and saying, hey, you are so successful, or you've done a really, a mo I'm modeling some of my, you know, school components after your model. Is there any way I can talk to you about it? Whatever. Yeah. Like, like, that is so flattering. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the other thing is like, so education, I think is an interesting space, because when you think about it, like other nonprofits, one of the things we always say like, especially to funders, because funders always get grumpy. There's always one or two that gets grumpy. Like, you know, there's like, there's like 11 people in the food security space. Like, why are there so many people in this one space? And the answer is, is the problem solved yet? Like, yeah. uh, do we still have a problem? Yeah. Then, then why aren't we throwing more organizations at it? So sure, there may be some sort of overlap in overhead, but like you guys are forcing everybody to have zero overhead anyway. So that's probably fine. Um, could they merge? We've talked about mergers. That's a challenge. So it's okay to have a lot of people in the space. When we think about education, like it's not a supply problem. It's not like, you know, parents of children are going, oh, I don't know what, where to send my kids because they can just go to the public school. So what you, you've got a different problem that you're trying to solve, which isn't a supply problem. It's a, it's a quality problem mm -hmm. or it's a, um, a focus problem, or there's a group of there's a group of students that's underserved in a particular way. And you have a very specific model to reach that underserved population that you, you've got some secret sauce that's going to make these kids that never graduate into kids that always graduate. So figure out what that is because that, because that becomes really compelling to, to, um, to funders. They're, they want to hear about like, here's, here's the issue with education that we've identified and this is how we're going to fix it. So that's your mission and that's what you should go after people with to try to get that money and not, I have a idea for a school. Like, yeah, there's one down the street from me. Like, what's different about you? Why should I give you money? I've got one down the street. So, so thinking about that, like the, like how you're going to talk to those funders is I think going to be your next biggest problem. Um, 
And then, yeah, Stacey, you, you also mentioned like that starting board is really, really important and being really clear with the startup board about what they're supposed to be responsible for. Because the mistake we see all the time when, when somebody picks up a startup board is they don't go for worker bees. They go for people with big names who they think are, you know, can lead or sorry, can lend credibility to their idea. So if I'm putting together a something about education, let's go to a bunch of colleges and pick a bunch of college professors or presidents of banks or, you know, these people, because they lend my idea credibility. Those people aren't going to do anything for you. They're not going to help you at all. They're, they're, you know, the, the big mistake we see nonprofits make all the time is they want a bunch of elected officials on their boards, like <laughs> right? Because they think that's an act, somehow that gets them access to city funding or something or county funding. And yeah, maybe sometimes, but really all it does is it wastes everybody time because this person's not going to participate with you at all because they're on 46 other boards. I am a first-time executive director. For the last few months, I've given verbal ED reports at the monthly board meetings. A handful of our board members recently mentioned that it would be helpful to have a written report. Is this typical to present a written report at each board meeting and what should be included in it? So very typical. I have actually not seen, um, I've never seen it not done, right, in some kind of a written form. Uh, Not that that it can't be, like you certainly could do it verbal, but I'm going to guess in that Again, guessing and assuming is never smart. So it's also good to kind of check in, right? To talk to your board chair, maybe talk to the board about what it is that that are highlights they want to see in it. Although I'm going to say this with a huge caveat. I, I'd, what I'd rather see you do is I'd rather see you create a written report that is like an executive summary level, high level overview, sort of connecting the dots um, around things going on with the organization in all aspects, but without getting in the weeds. And that's where people fail miserably with these written reports. They get way, way into the weeds. And the minute you go into the weeds, you invite your board to go into the weeds with you and you do not want to do it. So it's, it's a little bit like instead of, here's a laundry list of 50 people I met with and their organizations with no context behind it, which, and, or I did these, I attended these 30 meetings this past month and that it, it provides no context. Instead of that, I would do like a few bullets or a summary. I, you know, over the past month, I made it my mission to go meet with 10 other nonprofit professionals because we're, I'm looking to explore partnership opportunities X, Y, Z to augment our services, right? Like, so it's sort of like that large picture overview showing you got your head on straight, you're going, you've got a strategy, you know, like you're headed somewhere and filling in some of those holes to provide context for the board because, right, board isn't doing this every day. They don't remember like what, probably some of them, if they're not engaged in some way, but in a, on a committee or in some other way in between board meetings, they're trying to remember what was it I heard last meeting. So, so being sensitive to that, like thinking through that, when you're preparing this, but nothing too long, nothing too fancy, nothing too detailed. That's, that's absolutely started out like that. And then, you know, you could do a check-in and say, hey, did this, you know, I just want to check in, did this meet everyone's needs? Because otherwise, you know, my fear is if you, if you do start from asking them, 
what they want to hear. Boards don't always know what to ask, right? And it's not that they're trying to put you through the ringer, but, oh, I would love to know da 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 And then before you know it, you're writing a book for your... <laughs> You report. Andy's laughing. You can't see him, but he's laughing. <laughs> this is the worst. So, so like the, this, the, I think what made me laugh about this question is that a handful of the board members mentioned that it would be helpful to have a written report, which makes me think that the ED was just sort of riffing. They're just like going <laughs> off on a tangent and talking about whatever. And so, so Probably. board meetings, board meetings are super formal things. There's like very specific rules about what should happen in a board meeting. And I get a sense that maybe you're not following those. So it's, it's really supposed to be a, a, some committee reports. So if you've got a financial statement, the treasurer or the finance committee should be presenting that to the rest of the board. And so that the staff or ED shouldn't talk a whole lot in the meetings. Every, every, it should be the board reporting on the things that they've discovered about the, the functional areas that they're responsible for. And so so yeah, I mean, there needs to be some sort of written thing. Like maybe you're just like, you're not providing them financials and they're like really freaked out about money. And so they want something on paper to deal with the financials. Um, but but it feels like they should be really, really, it should be really formal. You should be taking votes on things that you need to be taking votes on. And then the meeting should be over, right? It's not an opportunity to sit. And I mean, unless your organization is really tiny and you need the board to like help you think through things or you need the board's assistance to make staff activities happen. Um, board meetings are really just kind of like, here's, here's where we at. Here's all of the things that you guys need to make decisions on right now. Um, can I get a motion to adjourn? Like that should be a board meeting and, and anything else beyond that is uh, that should be in a committee report. Um, it should be communicated to the board at a different time. And you add, you added something to my thought process because the thing I think is important to keep in mind is in some of this stuff, I, I'm a huge believer when I work with organizations to structure better board meetings. One of the things I say is, okay, set the tone and expectation that you read the committee reports and executive director report. And there is no time, there, there isn't even time unless there is a discussion for feedback from the board to be had. If it is literally just an update, Put it on as a report. It's ex the expectation, whether people follow it or not, is a whole other thing. But right, like there's an expectation that board members read it. It's included in the materials in advance. And if someone's got a question, I mean, there's the opportunity, you know, the board chair running a good meeting will ask if there's any sort of questions or needing feedback. But at the end of the day, like save that quality time in your board meetings for those strategic issues, for the financial discussions, for you know, here's this big problem we're trying to solve right now. Like that, that is what a board meet, a good board meeting is done well with that. Not, not all this report out that everyone's like, yeah, I could just read it or I don't even have to be in person because I, you know, just I'm going to hear people recite what's in writing. That's, that's awful and boring. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel about consent agendas? I'm a huge fan. So consent so agendas, right? Like, you know, that idea of take, Take your key reports, those items that are like the items that you don't necessarily need discussion um, on. And they can even be like things like the minutes from your prior meeting, your ED report, committee reports that don't need any kind of discussion or examples of consent agenda items. Um, depending on how your board is and the detail of financials, sometimes there's a financial piece in there. But, but having sort of that regular routine items that are put on your agenda, the top of the agenda where the expect and and training board members 
you're going to have read this in advance. We're going to call for a vote on any actionable items in the consent agenda. Are you laughing at the reading it in advance, Andy? Because yes, that's I'm the laughing problem. at the well, that's, I mean, that's, and that's like that's every problem, time I've tried right? to get people to do a consent agenda, like you get so much pushback because people just don't want to be responsible. The board members don't want to be responsible for having like consumed the information before they walk into the room or, or call into the conference call. Well, and you know what I say to that? Like when that happens, I go, great. Well, then do you want to have, instead of like getting done in 90 minutes, do you want us to be here for two hours or two and a half hours? Like yeah. most of the, like, and if you're, if you're willing to do it, then fine. We don't have to do a consent agenda. It's just such a waste of time, right? It's like, and I think it's a larger discussion with the board. What kind of meetings do we want to have? Like, can't, and to get to what those kinds of meetings we want to have, then can we all agree that this is how we're going to move forward, right? Like with this consent agenda, um, because then it's like one vote, right? Like one either, you know, if there are even are items to vote, but hey, do I have a motion to approve consent agenda items? Yes, I got a second, right? Bam, one minute and you're done with like yeah. four items. How cool is that? Yeah, I think my, my favorite part of all board meetings is like, can we move to approve last meeting's board minutes? And everybody starts shuffling the papers, yes, reading them for read. the first, like they've never seen them <sighs> before. Like they, oh, I hate it. <laughs> and oh. Nobody ever, like occasionally somebody will have a comment like, oh, I was here. I see that I was marked as absent, but I was here. Like that's the only, the only minute change I've ever, ever. I mean, there's maybe other ones that I can't remember, but that's the most common one. <laughs> oh, it totally is. Or, oh, there's yeah. a typo here. Oh, like, <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause all that stuff can be bumped onto the consent agenda. And then you're right. It's like, it's one you know, can I a motion to approve the consent agenda? Second, and all in favor, I let's go. And you're you're done with half the meeting in in yeah forty seconds. Yeah, it's a brilliant tool. Cue the sad music because that means another episode of Nonprofit Everything has ended. Thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate that you've taken some time of your busy schedule to hang out with Stacy and I while we answer some nonprofit type questions. Uh, again, this is a production of the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, and it runs on your questions. So if you don't send us questions, we don't have anything to answer. And this gets really, really boring and we'll just post 60 or 30 minutes of silence. I think that would be fun. Um, so go ahead and send us those questions. You can do it at the Nonprofit Everything webpage. There's a Facebook page. There's Twitter. You can pretty much just track us down and ask us, and we will throw that in there. Um, on behalf of Stacy, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.